Good night, good brunch. Good brunch. Hey, last time we didn't say that. It's not cool. It's not acceptable. We missed our good brunch. Ugh, good brunch times two to make up for last Good time. brunch. Welcome everybody to Nurse Coffee Talk. I'm Jamie Baker. I'm Sarah Matthews. And we are so excited to chat with you today. It seems like we had some technical difficulties last week. We're so sorry, but we're on a really low budget because we don't make any money doing this. So, <laughs> so Sorry. <laughs> So, sorry that we can't hire really professional people. We can only hire people that are, like, in seventh grade. And also, if you're seeking out, if you, if you or your seventh grader would like to earn no money doing something for two people, hit us up. Yes, if you're looking for a job in which there are zero rewards, let us know. Except for sort of the satisfaction of doing a good job, except other people get to take credit for it. Let us know. Oh. No, we're just kidding. We edit our own shit. <laughs> we sure do. And that's why it's equivalent of a seventh grader's work. Actually, a seventh grader probably would do better editing. Honestly, Gen Z probably would roll in and be like, this is so, this can be improved in so many ways. Who would roll? Oh, Gen, Gen Z. Generation Z. I'm yeah. like, who's Gen Z? <laughs> and how do I get a hold of her? <laughs> What's her story? I know. Like, does she have a lot of experience editing? <laughs> Is she like whiz kid and I'm like who's six years old? I don't know. Anyway, uh, yes. So sorry about the technical difficulties, but we appreciate you notifying us because we we didn't know until uh, we got notification because obviously we listen during the editing phases, but once it's published, uh, we, we pretty much know the podcast forward and backwards, so we don't need to listen to it again. So thank you again for bringing that to our attention. It is fixed now, and if you haven't gone back to finish it up, please... Please do so because we remind you to do some very important things. Send us your stories, your favorite nursing story, mm -hmm. because we want to make a compilation of all the favorite nursing stories of our listeners for our one year anniversary, which will be coming up in September. So we need your stories submitted. And then we also want to do an episode about why people got into nursing. So send us that information, too. You can put it on Instagram, uh, Nurse Coffee, excuse me at nurse coffee talk or you can send us our email nurse coffee talk at gmail.com and oh my gosh i have to tell you something that happened last night and i i am livid about oh, the situation i'm ready to be livid with you okay and i know you will be too i'm because, sure i will be blind support oh my god i i know but you'll, you'll be <laughs> but also in real life. fully aware yes. support afterwards okay <laughs> 2020 vision support also. Yes. Thank you. I was looking for the perfect word and that's what it is. Thank you. All right. So let me tell you what happened last night. I was honest. I was livid. So I have this patient come in. She checks in for a vaginal complaint and I'm walking her back to the room and we're just chatting about why she's here and she's walking and she looks really uncomfortable while she's walking. And I, so I kind of felt bad and we're chatting about what's going on. And she tells me that she had a yeast infection eight days prior. She went to the store. She bought some over-the-counter monostat. She used it. And then she says, and I had an allergic reaction. Mm. And I, br I broke out in a bunch of blisters. Oh, God, honey. That was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. She went to 
Urgent Care. Who is staffing Urgent Care? I don't know. Who is staffing Urgent Care? Nurse practitioners. Oh, okay. Nurse, I've, nurse, I've seen nurse, doctors in my Urgent Care. You do? Mm-hmm. None of none of the Urgent Cares around here are staffed with doctors. They're mm. all nurse practitioners. And, again, we love our very well-versed nurse practitioners. So she goes to Urgent Care, tells them what's going on. They prescribe her... Uh, a Diflucan prescription and a Diflucan refill. So she goes, she fills the Diflucan. She does, it's a two day treatment. She's not feeling any better. She does the refill. She, so that's two more days. She doesn't feel any better. So that brings her to last night. Poor thing. So she comes in and she's like, I'm just, I'm in so much pain. She's like, I don't want to eat or drink because it's hurting so bad to pee. Oh yeah. Because I'm so irritated. So we go to do the vaginal exam, and not to gross anybody out. They're nurses. They can take it. They're probably eating a sandwich right now. Yeah, probably. (laughs) It was one of the worst pelvic exams I've ever seen. She had massive blisters all over. I mean, she she had herpes. She had clearly had herpes. Um, She had green discharge everywhere. Um, So we're suspecting some additional STDs on top of it. And I asked her, I said... Did they exam? Did they do a pelvic exam on you at the urgent care? And she said no. And I said, did they look at your vagina in any way, shape, or form at the urgent care? And she said no. They prescribed something without looking? So what I'm thinking to myself is, A, as a provider, you have to document an assessment on every patient that you see. Oh, I mean, I've watched people just make shit up in assessments. Like, I'm like, I watch the doctor not do anything and then be like, oh, lung sounds are clear. I'm like, fuck you. First of all, they're not. Second of all, you're lying. Well, exactly. So you that you didn't do any sort of physical assessment on this person. You prescribed her a medication that was completely irrelevant for what she was suffering from. You missed a huge diagnosis. Um, you didn't do any testing for public health purposes. Right. Since when do we take patients' words that they, like, because I'm sure she came in and said, I had a yeast infection. I used Monistat. It didn't work. And they were like, cool. Well, no, she said that she broke out in blisters. She told them she had an allergic reaction and they were like, okay, here's some Diflucan. That's what I'm saying. Like, they just took her word for it. Like, anyone is qualified to do that for themselves. Like, she did the best she could given what her knowledge base is right, but like sure. you don't know Absolutely. this woman she's just a random person walking into your clinic she's not an md like what are you talking right. about That's, even if she were oh an God. md like well you're right it's still your license that you're prescribing something like for god's sake and this totally comes back to a idiot providers and mm-hmm. b i guarantee this was an np who didn't do any clinical any clinical work in between school and getting her app or getting her, her nurse practitioner. Yeah. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Because there's, I totally do. There's no way that any practicing nurse would not do a physical assessment on a patient. I, I fully agree with that. And if there is, then what what nurse practitioner program let you go through without drilling that into your head? Anyway, my heart was bleeding for this oh. poor patient. I felt so bad for her. She and she's like, she's like, when will it stop hurting to pee? And the doctor is like, well, after these meds start kicking in for you. Did she have STDs? Did you do a test? Well, we did everything, but it all takes a couple days to come oh, back. Sure. But I mean, I mean, she absolutely 100% had herpes for sure. But I oh, suspect honey. probably trick or chlamydia on top of it. 
Oh, I felt I just felt so bad. And she was like, thank you for being so nice to me. And I'm like, of course, I'm going to be nice to you. Like, you're my patient. I'm here to take care of you. Like, I I know. Oh, I just but I just cut like the doctor and I afterwards, I was like, I cannot believe that no physical assessment was done at that urgent care. Like that just I'd want to call and make a stink about that. Honestly, absolutely. Like, if I was the doctor who had to fix that problem... I wouldn't be calling the urgent care. I'd be calling somebody higher. Uh, well, you know what? Like, like one time I got... This is a silly comparison, but, like, I got a terrible haircut one time. Mm-hmm. And I have really, really curly hair. So, like, you have to know what you're doing. The woman told me she did. She gave me a terrible haircut. And I had to go somewhere <laughs> else to have it fixed. And I came in and I was in tears. You know how it feels so dramatic when you have a haircut. Of That's course. bad. Yeah. And the, the new hairdresser who fixed it was like, who did this to you? It felt like we were in a movie. <laughs> and I told her and she was like, I'll handle it. I'm like, no, don't, please. I don't know what you think you're going to do within the hairdresser community, but like, please don't do it. <laughs> oh my God. That bitch, she had my back in such a big way. She called that, she called the other salon and was like, who, like, it was like, I, she wanted to talk to the lady and they wouldn't let her talk to whoever did it. So she was like, fine, then I'll talk to whoever will listen. And I hope it's a manager. Like, Karen out on it hard about oh my God. how you shouldn't be, you know, if you don't know how to cut curly hair, you shouldn't be advertising that you do. And like, no matter what you say, you clearly don't because you did this and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, very, that was very unnecessary, but also I appreciate you advocating for me, I guess. Yeah, on such like a, On such a, what is ultimately a very, very stupid thing. But mm-hmm. a similar kind of thing of like, no, like, that's, that's, I mean, that's serious shit. Yeah. It's like a professional sure. conduct ish. Like, I mean, it's just, that's wild. Mm-hmm. That's really wild. Yep. Oh my gosh. Like your hair. It's wild like your hair. It's wild just like my hair. I told you there's a fine line between beautiful bouncy curls and Wicked Witch in the Woods. Yes, that's a fine line. I <laughs> I experience it every day with my daughters. Oh yes, yes, they have very because <laughs> like hair. when they um well my my middle child so my oldest daughter she she has very textured hair. Mm-hmm. My younger daughter has very like fine non textured hair, mm, but they both have cur- they both have curly hair. But my middle child, it's so funny. When she gets out of the bath or the shower, you know, we condition and comb out her hair and everything. And she has these beautiful curls. I mean, they are gorgeous. Like, to die for, any woman with straight hair wants these curls, right? Mm -hmm. But as they dry up, they keep shrinking up and up and up and up. And, (laughs) like, her hair is actually super long. But, like, it it keeps getting shorter and shorter as it dries. And she calls it bluffy. Like, she's like, my hair is so bluffy. And <laughs> it's like, I don't know where oh, she came honey, up with that I don't that know word. what that word is, but I love it. I'm I know. I love it. it, too. So then even more as the day goes on, the front part gets really, like, um, frizzy. Just yeah. the front where the, where, like, your bangs would be, but they're as long as the rest of her hair. Uh-huh. But it starts, like as it gets like more and more frizzy it like starts standing up straight <laughs> so like by the end of the night this lady looks like <laughs> a maniac okay she looks like a total maniac oh my god and she's like mom my hair's so bluffy right now and i'm like it, it, is it sure so is it sure is <laughs> you know oh when god. i when i straighten my hair i mean it is it's almost doubly as long like it's really I, yeah i believe it 
And I, I, I whenever I come into work with straight hair, it almost gives me a complex. Like, I almost don't like doing it, which, like, for the mm-hmm. record, I didn't embrace my curls until kind of recently. I, straight hair when I was growing up was, was it. Of course. So, I straightened my hair all through high school and college. Mm-hmm. I think everybody did. Totally. No, totally. But now it's like now everyone's encouraging people to lean into their more natural whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, And like heat and things like, you know, whatever. And like ultimately, of course, do what you want to do. And I like to straighten every once in a while, but I get so many compliments when it's straight just because Mm -hmm. it looks different that I'm like. Yeah. But it's so many that I'm like, do you guys not like my regular hair? (laughs) No, I don't think that's it. I think it's just a change. It's just a change. But I'm like, no, I don't want compliments on my straight hair. I want compliments on my natural hair. I work really hard and pay a lot of money for these products. Please. Yeah, I totally understand. And I grew up with, like, I have wavy hair, so I can straighten my hair really easily. Or I can, like, put a little bit of gel in it and wear it curly. Mm -hmm. If it's, like, if it's relatively cut. Because I, if I yeah. have layers in it, it curls up really nicely. If I don't have layers in it or it's, like, getting too long, it won't curl nicely. But I remember growing up, like, I hated my curls. Hated, hated, hated mm-hmm. my curls. Because, of Same. course, uh, you know, the people with straight hair, they could go to the pool and get out of the pool. Yes. And, like, literally their hair was gorgeous. Yes. And you're like, I hate you all. I know so, you all want other things, but, like, you truly don't understand how good you have it. So, shut <laughs> Did your straight fi- hair girls. All your straight hair girls. Did your gal fix your color like how you wanted it to? No, I need. To, I'm still looking for another hairstylist. Oh, you're gonna go, do, to. go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm done. I'm out. Listen, I'm not paying that kind of money. I've got a short trigger. You give me one bad anything, I'm gone. I'm not coming back to yeah. you. Yeah, I know people I, try see, and be I, generous, but I can't. no. I just have. Well, the problem is that I become friends with the people that like take care of me like well of course if you if you see them a lot it's like you want and then the more you get to see someone and they get to know you they know what you like they know how your hair is like i mean and maybe but my hairstylist every time i go to her she's like nope nope that won't look good on you and i'm like fuck you that's what i want (laughs) also i think there's a misconception that like just because you're a hairstylist you're also a style guru and, like, right. know the exact right cut for the shape of face. And, like, they just, they don't. I mean, I'm not, I've not had that experience anyway. A lot of them, I think they, they we ask a lot of them. And it's, like, that's not how, what they're trained to do. Well, some of them are really good at it. but Some of them are did incredible I, at Did it. I tell you, I know I told you about the terrible hair and how I look like Bozo. But <laughs> did, did I tell you about what she posted on Facebook after that? No. Okay, so it was, like, a week and a half later... She posted a picture on Facebook of her daughter's hair and it's this, she, her daughter went lighter like I did, like I went lighter Mm -hmm. and she posts this like multiple picture of like this gorgeous hair and this beautiful color and she's like only took eight hours, but that's what happens when your mom's a hairstylist, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, just loving the new do and, and I'm. To me, that was, like, a total slap in the face of, like, I feel like you should treat every client like that. You should make every client feel that beautiful when they're walking out. And if you're not, you should make it right. I agree completely. Eight hours feels exorbitantly long. Well, I don't want to sit there for eight hours to get my hair done. But, like, if you screwed up my hair, like, you should fix it. And I paid so much money. Oh, my God. Well, And you were the third person within the past, like, month who has told me that same thing, spent hundreds of dollars on the hair mm-hmm. and unhappy with the color. 
And mm-hmm. like, I, and you know, when you're sitting there and they do the big reveal and they really want you to gush and stuff, I very rarely feel that way. I've only felt that way once or twice in my life because mm-hmm. it just takes, and I don't, I don't color my hair because honestly, because I don't want to deal with the upkeep, not because I don't want to, but because I right. don't have the money or the energy to keep it up. Right. Yeah. But I've had very few haircuts where I'm like, ooh, after. Like, it just takes time to get used to it. Yeah. So I feel like there's so much pressure in the moment when you're the person, like the, you know, essentially artist is staring at you to compliment their work that you feel pressure to be like, yeah, it's great. I love it. Thank you. And also, I'm so tired of sitting here. So get me the fuck out of this chair. Yeah, right. And then you get home (laughs) and you're like, I look. I don't like it. Like, what is this weird beige hair color? Whatever the issue is. (laughs) Or there's no depth to it or it's you know whatever like yeah. but the problem is that the they don't really want to set it right because they're like well i already did the work yeah i know oh i don't care that you already did the work you had to fix it and how many people maybe maybe it's just me i don't know but like normally i don't have problems speaking my mind but when it comes to stuff like that i do me too i feel very awkward with somebody who i wouldn't consider her like a friend but she's more than just a hairdresser like we're facebook friends she does my mom's hair we talk about our families sure. like i've met her kids she does my kids hair like there's just relationships there and so i feel really weird sitting in a chair being like mm, well also we're not happy where, where's the other side of that of doesn't she feel any kind of connection or obligation to you you clearly do you know she did call me back and she did do an attempt at a fix-up and it looked better for like two days but then that the toner just washed right out and Mm. it's back to being like hydrogen peroxide like i could have i literally could have done this from walmart you know you might as well get a box and just fucking fix it and just put it on top of it ridiculous anyway this podcast if you weren't aware is not about hair styles or (laughs) cuts or colors maybe it should (laughs) <laughs> it is about nursing, but I guess a lot of nurses get their hair done. So, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so let's get into today's topic, which is nursing is a different type of job. Different type of job. It's a different type of job. <laughs> what have we talked like that the whole time? <laughs> oh, we should definitely Love talk that. like that. Hello, nursing. <laughs> holla, holla. <laughs> Oh, do you know what that reminds me of? Do you watch New Girl? Oh my god, it's actually so funny that you say that because I started watching it very recently. So I have already watched the whole series like previously and I just recently busted it back out and I forgot how much I love it. Like I think I love it even more the second time around Mm -hmm. but that voice just reminded me of Jessica Day when she's doing like her newsroom voice. (laughs) She does really good. I just watched the episode where she's about to have sex with that teacher friend of hers. Oh yeah, Paul. Yeah, and they can't, like they're they're trying to, hey there. Yes, yes, and yes, he's like, can we just, yes. can we just be normal? I don't want to do this. Can we just be normal, please? That's exactly the scene I was thinking of. <laughs> My issue with with New Girl is that. I suffer from secondhand embarrassment so badly. You told me about that. That, yeah. like, uh-huh. I genuinely have trouble watching the show. Oh, my God. I just want her and Nick to fall in love and be together. <laughs> it's like they're my Ross and Rachel of the new generation. Aww. Well, I do like the show. I mean, they're, they're cute. And she's, I mean, she's precious. I know. She's so talented, too. She's very talented. Zoe yeah. And she has a beautiful voice. She does. There are some, like, vibes about her that I don't always love. But also, you don't always love anybody. So, it's fine. I always love you. Oh, I always love you. 
Mm. Okay, anyway, okay. nursing. Different, different type of job. <laughs> different type of job. Okay. All right. So anyway, so we just, we want to talk about how nursing as a profession is really different than your other professions for many, 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 many reasons. But a couple of the reasons are the fact that nurses have so much more responsibility in their work as far as like literally having people's lives in their hands. There's more accountability. I mean, if you're working as an architect, like, yes, there's a level of accountability, but it's a little bit different than being accountable for somebody's life. The accountability that I see for my other non-nursing friends, because I've I thought about this a lot, because it's come up as an issue a few times when people feel, and, like, I really, really try to not talk about work to non-nurses just because, like, that they can invite that if they want to, but I'm not gonna... It's either gross or, I don't know, it's just some of the things that people have said about their insecurities regarding being friends with nurses. It's like, oh, well, nothing I do matters because you all are saving lives. I'm like, it doesn't mean that nothing Um, you do matters, but it does mean that, like, ultimately, the accountability and the stress that you're feeling, the biggest pressure from other jobs in terms of accountability, I think, comes down to, like, losing the company money. Well, that's kind of on nurses, too. (laughs) No, it is. You're right. But you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, like, the pressure and, like, when you fucked it up or you did something wrong and you're, like, devastated and freaked out. What's the absolute worst case scenario not not in terms of getting fired or whatever but like for that company Mm -hmm. if if another employee messes something up time inconvenience money yeah you know having to redo some work losing money losing clients losing clients yeah Yeah. but it's not it's just not the same as the pressure of literally losing a life i was telling someone about that vanderbilt nurse i'm like Mm-hmm. humans make mistakes all day long have you i mean tell me if you've ever made a mistake at work that's what she made right. a mistake at work like that and, and we're right. uh, and we've talked about this before we're not specially trained superheroes that are immune to human error so yeah occasionally we make a mistake that kills someone and it's awful years back i think it was 2010 if i remember correctly the national institute of health came out with the hundred thousand lives campaign Mm-hmm. And forgive me, remember, our data points are just things that we, like, loosely put out there. We're not, like, <laughs> that we, like, saw a few years ago and it just kind of stuck in our <laughs> yeah. memories existing. But they put out this 100,000 Lives campaign, and the goal was to save 100,000 lives a year by improving errors and safety conditions and things like that that healthcare professionals make. Because... We are human. And mm-hmm. the fact that you have to put a campaign out there to try and reduce the loss of life due to error just illustrates how easy it is for something bad to happen. Absolutely. And like, honestly, I would say probably one of the biggest contributors to error is going to be inadequate staffing, right? Because you're you're rushing, you're busy. Yeah. But also, it's still just people being people so say you had one patient and you had all the time in the world you could still make an error and it doesn't mean that you're an idiot it means that you're a person yeah and you did the math wrong Mm -hmm. and again it comes down to the swiss cheese model of all the perfect you know stars that align or whatever i remember when i was in elementary school on my soccer team and whenever i'd be the goalie i'd be in a panic because mm. i'm like oh my god they you know if i let one in it's my fault that the team that the other team scored and my mm. mom said to me if the ball gets to you that means that a lot of other people also let it happen and it doesn't mean that your mom is like the smartest human in the oh world my god. she absolutely <laughs> is she's so wise she's so wise <laughs> 
you know, and I was like nine and I, you know, so worried about disappointing people. And she was like, it, you know, it feels like a lot of pressure, but like everyone else has the same pressure. They're just not all looking at you. Like, yeah. So a lot of things had to happen to get the ball to you in the first place. And that's what it's right. like in nursing that she was describing yeah. the switch cheese model in so many words. Mm, for sure. And like, we're the goalies uh. trying to keep it all, keep all these balls from entering the hoop. And like, listen, mm. sometimes they get in. I want to talk about that because I will say, I don't know if other nurses feel this way or not, truthfully, but this is how I feel. When I go to work on a day-to-day basis, I don't go to work thinking about that pressure. I'm no, not I don't thinking really top of mind aware that I have people's lives in my hands. Now, if we, if I'm talking about nursing and we're talking about things that have happened or things like that, it becomes very aware that that's the case. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't feel that stress in myself. I don't even really feel feel that thought in my mind at all when I'm doing my job. In fact, most of my job is like ho-hum, ho-hum, which is probably how mistakes get made, right? Because you kind of let down your guard a little. Yeah, that's you what feel I was going to say. It's like, you, all, you can't live at that stress level, but also yeah. when you get comfortable is when mistakes yeah. happen, for sure. And like it's for not until sure. something happens that you're like, oh shit, I kind of forgot mm-hmm. that like, like even in this job, it's it's still a nursing job, but it's not bedside clinical. Mm-hmm. But if I fuck something up and a patient goes home without something that they need, they could suffer a huge issue at home. Mm-hmm. Occasionally it is death if, if one of my meds that I ordered for them doesn't get through or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make sure all my ducks were in a row to make sure the team sure. knew, like, don't let them go until this is in place, whatever. I had a right. patient where I genuinely had never set up something like that before. It was tube feeds at home. Mm-hmm. And it was my first time doing that. This was years ago. And... I didn't know that they needed a home nursing same day start of care because I assumed Mm. when we gave them a supply of the tube feeds that someone in the hospital had taught the family how to administer them Mm. because you have to document that it was. So it was like, oh, it's part of it. Like the nurse, when they're discharging, like make sure that they know. And then the nurses start the next day at home and they reinforce it or whatever. Uh, No, apparently that's not the case. And the patient went home and the nurses weren't planning to start until like a day or so later. And he didn't Mm. have any two feet going. He had no nutrition. Now he didn't die, of course. And he ultimately it's like, okay, well, he's hungry, but like life goes on. Mm -hmm. But I felt horrible Mm, because it was literally just me not investigating far enough into what Mm -hmm. the process was of something that I hadn't done before well again that comes down to you don't know what you don't know right until you until you make an error or until you do something like that you just you don't even know that you're missing part of it yeah you live and you learn and thankfully really there wasn't any significant harm that came to the patient but that's just no I that's had just a, one of those things I, in a panic found another agency and this patient lived in like bum fuck nowhere mm, of course they of course always <laughs> but i had in a panic found another agency to go out there same day and mm-hmm. it took all day and it was like it was a patient that i had gotten from another person who was on vacation so i was covering them she said everything was in place i didn't look any further like there were so many layers to it but ultimately like i had to own my own mistake in it and like yeah. what if it had been a life-sustaining medication you know i mean I, things happen we we send patients home on those all the time so sure but it, i was kind of like getting comfortable in my new role and feeling cool about myself and then that happened yeah. and i was like okay check yourself before you wreck yep. yourself you know i think that's part of the reason that i take different types of jobs because 
I start to feel comfortable. Yeah, that's a good And I'm just point. like, mm, nope, I need to, like, I need to do more. I need to learn something else. I need to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because you do start to get comfortable. And I, I've heard that in nursing, like, when you are comfortable, it's time to move on. Interesting. That is when mistakes happen. I think most people, it's like, you're talking like eight to 10 years of like, yeah. you know, that, that level of comfort. But yeah. And mistakes obviously can happen at any time because sure. I'm thinking at your peak time of being uncomfortable is when like you're short staffed and someone's like crumping and you're rushing yeah. around or whatever and trying to get stuff done. Like obviously mistakes can be made during that time too. But I think you're right of like, it's, you know, do we want to exist on that stressor of, of higher awareness all the time? No. I don't think you can. Should we? Uh, no, but there's got to be some kind of, no, I agree. I don't think you can either. We wouldn't, uh, that's burnout. I mean, you can't, you can't sustain that. Yeah. You have to get comfortable and confident in your role, mm-hmm. but I think you're right. Hmm. Thank you. You're I welcome. love when I'm right. I know. Me too. It's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I think that's a huge, a huge thing, obviously, about nursing is that the accountability and the pressure mm-hmm. is just different. And it, mm-hmm. there really is no way to sugarcoat that for people who aren't in it and feel insecure about that. Like, I mean, sorry, but like whether or not my 6am heparin shot is saving a life or not, mm-hmm. my mistake can end one. Right. So... You know, that was always something that we talked about on, because, like, you know, we were on a, on the med surge floor dealing with post-op patients. I mean, they were, they were sick. They were very sick. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the same thing of in an ICU where I'm, like, intimately titrating drips and managing lines and doing, and, you know, intubating them and whatever, like, actively saving a life in that way. I'm not hopping on a chest every day. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change the fact that one of my mistakes can literally end a life mm-hmm. or greatly impact one. Well, you know, the thing about that is when you are hopping on a chest every day or titrating multiple drips. First of all, in an ICU, you're at a reduced ratio of one to two. I literally have never worked anywhere where it's been greater than one to two. I've heard some places are one to three, but I've really never seen that in an an ICU. And if your patient's really, really sick, you're a one to one. one. Yeah. But you also have tons of hands to help. Like if you're in a code situation, there are so many people which can contribute to the chaos, but it usually tends to be a well-oiled machine. Like where you and I worked together, we had a dedicated rapid response team and code team. And so they were a well-oiled machine. Oh, yeah. And they would they would get the additional 30 people that show up out of yeah. the room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never in my life, it's, it's incredible. Like I remember the first time we called a code on my, my unit and you feel so helpless when it's happening mm. Because it was night shift. I think mm-hmm. my friend who started a month before me was the most senior person there. Oh, my God. And we were like, rut row. Hope nothing uh-huh. happens tonight. Like, it's going to be a shit show. Like, you know, those patient codes. And we're doing our, you know, we started compressions and everything. The sheer relief of 50 people being there yeah. in in a minute yeah i mean i the speed at which i have never experienced it was <sighs> at the speed at which nothing in the hospital happens you know yeah right. but oh my god it was unreal how fast they came mm-hmm. and we were all able to step out and like yep. let them take over because like they don't need me doing compressions they yeah. can like they got it believe me they have a line of med students <laughs> they sure do who are eager little beavers ready to yes, hop on the sure. chest oh my god i remember my very first time doing 
compressions on a human being. I was in the ER. It was like my first day of orientation. I am in there and they say that a trauma is coming in. And she comes in and I'm on the chest and she had been intubated in the field. So she has a, she has an ET tube on. And, you know, now that I think about it, like they were not bagging her. So I don't know if they were like, if they had already pronounced her dead Mm -hmm. and they were just like making me learn CPR. I don't even, looking back, I don't even know. But every time I pumped on the chest, blood was spurting out of the ET tube. Oh my God. And so it was, oh my God. I'll never, ever, 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 ever forget that. No. And but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, why wasn't an ambu bag hooked up to that? Now, now that you're telling the story to listen, <laughs> now that I'm you're telling like, the story, I'm like, why was blood shooting out at me? Why was there no ambu bag hooked up? Oh my god, that seems really weird. Um, I've this that is the very first time in my entire life I've ever had that thought, and I've thought about that moment a lot because it's obviously a first <laughs> obviously for a me. Big but deal, yeah, that's very interesting that I'm just thinking about that anyway. My point in all of this was, is like when there's a code, you have so many people around, there really doesn't feel like stress about making a bad decision because in a code, totally. you're doing anything and everything you can to save a life. Mm-hmm. And worst case scenario, you do CPR and bag while you're thinking about what to do next. And you learn that when you're in enough codes, you learn to just okay, everybody take a step back. We can keep this person alive by giving them breaths and pumping their heart for them while we figure out what we're going to do next. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like as many mistakes happen in that period of time. I feel like the mistakes happen when people maybe aren't sure about things, but they're too afraid to ask or Mm -hmm. they're comfortable and not paying attention or they're rushing or they're understaffed or, you know, like that, like that's when it's more of like that middle ground. Yeah. It's more like the middle ground, you know? Yeah. I think think mistakes happen when you're alone and you're right in a code you've never been less alone Mm -hmm. I remember well my first time ever doing CPR was um when I was a tech in the ER and like they would just have um an ER tech and an ER doc run to every code in the hospital oh geez because it was small it was a community hospital I was like that's a lot of running (laughs) no it it was a small hospital but it, the idea was that we do it more. So mm-hmm. they wanted people there who were, you know, knew the, the protocol as opposed to the bedside nurses that didn't do it as much, whatever. Sure. It was this frail old man oh, and like his rib, ribs were so broken. I could feel uh, it while I was doing uh, it. And then they shocked him and the tech that was orienting me grabbed me by the back of my scrubs and yanked me back because she was worried I was going to um, still be touching him when they were shocking him, uh-huh. which I wasn't. And it looked... She nearly pulled me, <laughs> like, out of, okay. like, off the stool. It was very she violent. She just cared about you. She just cared about me. But then later that same day, we had another one down in the ER. And I remember this moment so, so vividly where it had happened upstairs, too. Ultimately, we ended up letting, he, he we let him go because he was not coming back. Mm-hmm. And there was a calm about it that I kind of wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And this was pre-Grey's Anatomy, so... You know, we weren't as used to seeing seeing that kind of drama, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then later in the ER, this, like, wife woke up. Her, her husband was unresponsive. They coded him for a while in the field. They brought him in. We coded him for a while in the ER. And we were all kind of doing our thing and milling around. And, like, it, it went on for long enough that we all kind of were calming down, like you had mm-hmm. said. And the resident... Or the, I guess it was attending at this community hospital. He looked around and he goes, anyone got any good ideas? Mm-hmm. Just like that. Said it just like yep. that. Calm as yep. could be. And everyone was like, no. And he was like, okay. Okay, call it. Time mm-hmm. to death. 
And yeah. I remember being surprised at honestly how cold and clinical it was, but also, mm-hmm. also I loved it. Cause I was like, there is a, I don't know. It felt, it felt cool almost. And I know that sounds kind of like so morbid to say, but he just fun- kind of sounded like a cool cowboy, like cool under pressure. And mm-hmm. he had done, you know, he had thought of all the things mm-hmm. he asked his team if they had any ideas and he just made a decision and he didn't seem yeah. overly distraught by it. Right. Cause he knew, that it was just the 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 assurance in his voice of like okay we've done it all then Mm -hmm. yeah the difference though is like if you have a peed in there like totally it doesn't yes it doesn't doesn't matter it does no it doesn't matter like if a doc is like anybody else think of anything everybody's like coming up with something like so what what do any anyway all right well there's other aspects of this that we got to get to before we before we conclude this topic Mm. before we conclude the topic the topic (laughs) <laughs> extra extra <laughs> yeah, read all about it <laughs> okay so you had made note of like the public perception but also the pressure of that how nursing is different is that does that kind of contribute into like people who are like i can't even relate to your job you guys save lives is that what you were talking about there it's that for sure and all there's a few layers to this so Number one, I think that we don't always feel the pressure in the way that we were talking about, you know, you get comfortable or whatever. But I Mm -hmm. do think it's evident in the way that it takes a while to recover from a long stretch of shifts, not only Mm -hmm. the physical exhaustion, but the mental exhaustion. Mm -hmm. It's like if you had to drive for 12 hours every day and you had to just be aware the whole time. Like, and and you're like, why am I tired? I just drove. I was sitting down all day. Well, because you had to be like on alert for 12 hours straight. Yeah. I think there's a level of that just as a side note. But in regards to mm-hmm. perception, I, yeah, I do. Because say a friend is like, oh, well, you save lives every day. Like what you do is more important than me. So then I look like a, like an ass if I complain about a patient or you hear my bad humor. That really is only should be meant for nurses ears, apparently. And if you make fun of a family member or a patient or you talk casually about someone's death or anything like that, it's this perception of like you don't care why are you a nurse you shouldn't be a nurse if you can't be compassionate so there's all this pressure to be this like sweet doting angel a hundred fucking percent of the time and no i don't know very many nurses at all that are angels even (laughs) like part of the time i feel like nurses are some of the most irreverent people absolutely and part of it is a coping mechanism of dealing with everything right because god forbid we have actual resources to help with the trauma of what we do That are like, not you know, you can seek them out, but I mean, they should be automatic with this kind of job. But that kind of thing has been normalized to a point where it's like, oh, well, let's just be catty and silly about people's issues. And then, you know, that's how we'll cope with it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that a little bit with the trauma episode. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that we've talked about before in relation to that is, and again, no disrespect from true heroes of this country, which are like you know veterans of war and things like that and military like they have i i feel like it's similar in that way like we who are not military view the military as like they do these honorable things and they you know all this stuff and spoiler alert they don't i would assume they have the same types of conversations amongst themselves of like irreverence and you know that kind of stuff that they don't they don't have those conversations with non-military people. And I feel like nursing is kind of the same way. Like, we have this culture within ourselves where, like, 
we know what we go through. We know what we have to deal with. We may complain about it. We may not. We may be irreverent in front of other people. We may not. But nursing is still rated as like, like when people rate what the most honest. Yeah. Most trusted profession or whatever. Yeah. It's nurses. Yeah. But then also I get feedback from people that they're like, well, if I'm going to a hospital, I don't want a nurse. I'm, I want my doctor and like nurses are the consolation yeah. prize. And I'm like, I have to fire back with, if you're admitted to a hospital, you're not admitted for doctor care. You're admitted for nursing care. Yeah. Doctors can manage you in other ways. And like, it's, it's yeah. a combination of things, but ultimately like you're there because nurses need to have eyes on you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a really bizarre concept because you're right. I think the public or I shouldn't say public non-healthcare workers yeah. want us to be these angelical Angelica, oh my God, Hamilton. Angelica Houston, Angelica, <laughs> oh my God, my which my mom and I were watching that, and she goes, "Is she saying she's pregnant?" And I was like, "And Peggy." <laughs> Yeah, mom. She's declaring yeah. at the top of her lungs yes. during the introduction song. Right. That I'm she's pregnant. pregnant. And pregnant. <laughs> oh, my oh my God. But anyway, I-, I think the public wants us to be these angelic figures who are super compassionate and we're just these like gentle creatures who that's all we do is hold hands and care. And that is a very old fashioned view of nurses. And we've talked about that too, the disparity in that perception versus what nurses actually do. Like when you see a billboard of nurses, they're holding hands, they're smiling, they've got their arm around, they're hugging, they're helping the lady with the walker through the hospital. Exactly right. And then you see like a a billboard of like a doctor and he's got his arms folded. It's a man, first of all. He's got his arms folded and a stethoscope around his neck. I mean, it's just... No, to- you're totally right. I think, too, it comes a little bit from an insecurity. Because when you were talking about the heroes, the army vets, mm-hmm. I was also mm-hmm. thinking firefighters. Yeah. And, sure. you know, I, so my, um my, like, high school boyfriend, his whole family were firefighters. And our town just had, like, a volunteer crew. So they all had regular jobs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then also worked shift the fire department. And even though they were just regular people... They had also been obviously trained to be firefighters, whatever. And they were, I mean, they were great. Like all those men and women, but mostly men as you, as you would expect, Mm -hmm. um, sort of stereotypically. And they, I mean, I don't remember them ever saying something wildly inappropriate or anything. I'm sure they do Mm because you get a group of them together in the firehouse or whatever, but they would say occasional things that would, you know, make people laugh or whatever, like having to carry someone out of the house. And it was like this enormous person. And like, they would kind of make fun of that or whatever. And like, you know, it would make me feel a sort of way of like, oh, in my worst moment in my life of being rescued from a fire, I don't want to feel like my firefighter is Mm -hmm. judging that or whatever. And like, probably they aren't in the moment because it's like such a high risk emergency Mm -hmm. and they're doing a job or whatever and like Mm -hmm. but you know you want them to be respectful right and like right but also they're people and they're gonna think things regardless whether it's mean-spirited or not and i think something that we forget a lot in and i'm not trying to endorse angelic behavior because i i no, I understand the, the issue of that. But we are so used to going to work and having to just be work mm-hmm. that we forget that that person, like, and I hate when people say this and that this is the perception because it doesn't capture for nurses, like, what the experience is like. But, like, it is genuinely probably the worst moment of their life in a lot of ways. Like, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. barring yeah. some of the chronically ill who are there a lot, you know, like, 
you if you have an injury and you need stitches, it's a big story for you. Yeah. No one else gives a fuck, but it's a big story for you. It happened for to you. you. Yeah. Right. And, you know, thinking about that poor woman who came into your ER. Oh, my God. You know, she was having one of the worst, most embarrassing, horrible moments of yeah. her life. Mm-hmm. And look, people will look back on their time later. And that's why it's judged so harshly. Mm-hmm. Because they're going through a trauma, whether it feels overly traumatic or not. It's still a big, big deal. And so I think when they hear nurses out and about not treating that with respect... It immediately doesn't, it doesn't, their mind doesn't jump to, let me have understanding in my heart that these are just people who are working in a traumatic scenario and need to cope. It jumps to, what if me or my mom or my dad or my sister or my husband go to the hospital? Are you you going to be rude? Yeah, are you going to talk about me like that? I don't want to hear that. Like, I think there's an insecurity there. Well, and the answer is, yes, The answer is, yes. Yeah, sorry, we will. (laughs) Which is, which is awful because... Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've grown up a lot in the time that I've been a nurse as far as stuff like that. Yeah, me too. But, yeah, but I don't that, know. That also filters into the category of, of the pressure mm-hmm. of, like, you have to have an extremely traumatic job and you also don't have the right to decompress in the way that you need to. Yeah. Whereas like if I'm, if I have, an, uh, you know, if I work for some advertising firm and I'm talking shit about a client, there's not this level of like, how dare you? Yeah. I'm describing, you know, if I'm talking about some client that's making my life miserable, mm-hmm. it's not like you should be above this and it's your job and it's your calling and you chose mm. to do this job. Yeah. And that's true. All these different things. And it's like, maybe, maybe advertising is your calling. Who am I to say that? You know what I mean? Like, right. that pressure exists on so many different, like, levels mm-hmm. in and out of the hospital. And it's like, okay, so we can't, like, and that's why so many people, so many nurses are friends with each other. So we can actually be honest about shit yeah, and let sure. off a little bit of steam, whether it feels mean-spirited or not. And, like, some people are more drawn to being mean-spirited. Some have more empathy in their hearts. Whatever. Like, whatever mm-hmm. level you're at. Thank God we have each other to do that because we know the others that other people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think I think we do tend to talk to each other about it because you can't talk to a non-healthcare person about it because they have no idea what it's like to be in the healthcare environment. No, and by the time you get through explaining half the shit that they don't understand, <laughs> right. it's like it's not funny anymore. Right. The story isn't funny or... They're like, well, I'm sorry, yeah. well, I don't understand why that's a big deal. And you're like, I know, it's okay. There's a lot of nuance to this. Like any job, yeah. if I had an engineer right. trying to tell me something, I'd be like, I don't even know what you do. So, like, it doesn't mean anything right. to me. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we want co- to hit a couple other elements of this, which would be, um, like, the hours that we work and recovery time after shifts. Yes. So, the hours that we work. So most nurses in the hospital setting and probably like long-term care setting, I think are working 12s. Mm-hmm. Obviously the administrative type jobs, people are working eights. There are, there are some hospital nurses that are working eights, but I, I, I guess this was a subject you wanted to broach. So I'll let you. So I heard, so I heard from two listeners who 
it was funny. I don't know what about the conversation from a few episodes ago kind of spurred this topic exactly, but it came up twice where, uh, and maybe it's just because they were coming off of long stretches and they were thinking about it, where they said, can you talk about the process of like recovering from a, from a shift or a stretch of shifts? Mm-hmm. And I at first was kind of like, I don't really know how to turn that into a conversation. And then I thought about it more and was like, actually, there's something very unique about it when um, schools and recruiters and different things like that are trying to sell people on becoming nurses. They say that that's good pay, which I think is an exaggeration, and that the hours are flexible. I think that's also an exaggeration because while you do work less days a week, you ultimately don't have very much control over which days those are. Mm-hmm. And places really don't want to give you, and it's like, oh, I need, for childcare, I need to be off these days. And they're like, yeah, you're going to work every other weekend like everybody else. So, you know, yeah, right. they don't really care that much. So that's silly. But one of the things that is specifically very, very different about healthcare is is the shifts that we, that we work. And mm-hmm. 12s are long. And a lot of research actually shows that it's, they're not safe for the workers Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. and then we also like to group them to most people like to group them together to just bang them out and then you have big stretches off that's great absolutely the stretches off are incredible you can take off a full week without using an ounce of pto i mean i miss that so much because i work five eights now and it's yeah a huge difference and i I like it for a lot of reasons and that's a conversation we can have another day but definitely miss being able to like front and back load but oh my god the agony of working four or five twelves to do it i mean i know people that used to work seven and then have like two weeks off and then work seven and like you you get into a zone like you said where you're just counting you know you work 31 days in a row where you're just counting down yeah but oh my god the toll it takes yeah it's you have no time to do anything except come home eat and sleep no you you definitely don't sometimes you're definitely in in the car so that you can sleep the minute you get home Right. Yeah. And the recovery time that it takes. And my my one friend who was saying this, um, like suggesting this topic, we are not, we don't have children. So Mm. she's like, oh, I just got off a stretch. I need to take a full day to recover. Mm -hmm. Isn't that insane that like I need to take a full day to recover from my work? And she's like, what if I have kids? Or when I have kids, like, Mm -hmm. you don't have the luxury of taking a full day to sleep in and and do everything around the house that you want to do and just lay on the couch and watch New Girl. You have to be, you know, when you're working and when you're not working, you have to be on in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was going to ask you, like, what is that like in terms of recovering from long stretches and, and things like that where you don't get to have just dedicated alone time to feel like you can recoup well you know to be honest with you being with my kids is rejuvenating for Mm -hmm. me because you haven't seen them in so long because i haven't i haven't seen them and there's just so much like love the minute i hit my door i mean these kids are like so excited to see me Mm -hmm. that i mean i'll stay awake for a couple hours just to get to hang with them for a bit yeah and that really just that lifts your soul So from an emotional perspective, I think when you have kids, an emotional recovery is very easy. Mm -hmm. The physical recovery is a lot harder. And obviously I'm getting older, you know, and I'm not getting any younger (laughs) and I work night shift. And so the physical recovery is getting harder for me, especially because I'm a night shifter. And, you know, I want to, when I have time off, I want to get my life back on day shift. And it's, it's taking me longer and longer to get back into a swing of day shift. So it feels like when I have a week off, it's taking me three or four days to get back into like a day shift routine where I'm like sleeping at night, like a normal human. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, I only have a couple days where I'm on that and then I have to flip back to nights. So I do spend a longer period of time like sleeping because like when I have to flip back to nights, I'll sleep the night before and then I'll wake up and then I'll take like a four or five hour nap the day before, like the afternoon before I work. So it's the, the day that I get off and the day that I... And going back are like kind of wasted days, which, which stinks. So the emotional recovery, not so hard with kids because I think that your kids just like elevate your soul. I mean, honestly, they're just the best thing in the world and it's, it's cool to like get to play with them and see what they're doing and stuff like that. The physical recovery is a lot more challenging, but you know, you just, I've just always been a one foot in front of the other kind of person and you just take you just take it moment by moment and you just get through it and you know before you know it 17 years have passed and you're like where the (laughs) hell did my life go (laughs) well I remember having to explain it to my manager once who if she had worked nights it was many many years previously about like Mm. well you have a day off here you have a day off there whatever I'm like for night shift you need three full days off to have one day off. Right, exactly. Because the day you get off work, now some people, and and we've talked about making this a whole other topic too, but ultimately I think we'd just be saying the same things that everyone already knows, which is some people will sleep for like a few hours and then get up and to start the flipping. Myself, Mm -hmm. I'm so dead the next day. Yeah. Even if I force myself up to wake up at like noon or something, I'm sick to my stomach with how tired I am. And so I can't go out and be a person. Yeah. So you're sleeping that day and then you're trying to like sleep that night so you can have the next day to do stuff. Exactly. And then by the time you have to go to work the next night, it's like, well, let me stay up all night so I can sleep all day so that I can go to work at night. I know. It's crazy. It's wild and it's just bad for you. That is the absolute hardest part of night shift. And you know, this is kind of unfair because we're talking about recovery. You're right. And we we don't not talk about days. You're a day shifter now. So I guess... What is your recovery like on weekends? So at first... Just for clarification, Sarah's Monday through Friday. I'm Monday through Friday, and I get to pick my own hours that I work. Basically, they're like, work your eight and a half and get your shit done. Mm -hmm. And But I'm also salary, so it's really... I have to clock in and out for my eight and a half. It's a a stupid thing, but like everyone in my hospital, salary or not, has to clock in and out. It's like a accountability Mm -hmm. thing. Sure. That's some hospital bullshit, but whatever. And... But, you know, ultimately, I'm often there late. I'm often working at home, wrapping stuff up. So, like, even if I leave Mm. early, I still have to have my work phone on me and, like, still be putting out fires until technically, like, business hours, quote unquote, are over. So, Mm. I choose to work 7.30 to 4. That works out Mm. best for me where it's, like, not wretchedly early, but it still Mm. gives me the afternoon to get out. So, because it's only 8s. I am home usually no later than five. Mm-hmm. I have time to meet a friend for drinks mm-hmm. and still have, like, I can meet a friend for drinks at happy hour somewhere, get home, make dinner, have time to watch a show, call a friend, take a shower, do a load of laundry, and then go to bed. Like, there's so much yeah. more time to do yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I get to recover in little increments when I get home. Yeah. Daily. Now, yeah. the daily grind of having to wake up and go five days in a row, mm-hmm. whether you have that recoup or not, it gets tiresome. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, all the stupid office jokes that people make, like, oh, TGIF and all that shit. Like, yeah. the reason ultimately is that, like, you kind of are counting down. You're like, oh, my God, I need this stupid week to be over. God, yeah, I'm so tired of this. Sure. 
and the sheer relief and then the weekends are so short and i'm like man when did i enter into this like really cliched world like i don't love Mm -hmm. that where i feel like i'm working for the weekend and shit i don't want that to be my my life but yeah it's it is for now tbd and what's gonna happen next and what kind of role i'll be taking but man do i feel more normal than ever holy shit it's the yeah. best. Like, it really... I mean, I was one of those night shifters that was like, N-O, absolutely not. Never, I'll never, never go to days. Oh, never right, go to days. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't on the floor with 12s, but this has been life-changing. Yeah, I think every night shifter says, I'll never go to days, but then once they go to days, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, this is I'm much a per- better. Oh, I'm a person. I had no idea. Yeah. I When I flipped from nights to days after my son was born... Like, I was very trepidatious about flipping Mm -hmm. because of every reason that night shifters don't want to go to days. Yeah. But honestly, like, I loved working days as well. I I like them both, but I really enjoyed that, like, your day off is your day off. Mm -hmm. You're not spending it recovering or prepping to go into work. Yeah, and your Um, body is naturally going to wake up early because you're used to it. Yeah. And whether that's good or bad, you know, probably you sleep in, hopefully sleep in a little bit to recover a little bit and Mm -hmm. get a few more hours. But it's not like when you're forcing yourself to wake up so that you can have your day. And then you're just contributing to your sleep deprivation. Yeah, like, for sure. I, you know, I naturally wake up when my alarm goes off and then I can choose whether or not to go back to sleep because, like I said, I don't have children. So, like, I don't have any pressure right, sure. on that front unless I have to be somewhere. And usually it's somewhere fun. So, like, it's hard yeah. to really complain about that. <laughs> sure. Sure. I'm like, oh, I have to set an alarm so I can get up in time to go to brunch with my friends. Like, please. Oh, my God. Brunch. <laughs> brunch. All right. On that note, we really got to go. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So sorry, everybody, but we gotta cut this we off. We gotta cut it I, off because you have no to go take to care edit. of your sleep, yourself. Yeah, I gotta go. go I gotta sleep. sleep. I've been up all night long, guys. Ooh, time to go to Ooh. bed. Part of wellness is going to be yep. cutting this off so that you can go to sleep. <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to go have my day off. You guys, make sure you are please sending us your favorite nursing stories and the reason you got into nursing. Sarah, post a poll about why people got into nursing or whatever. Okay. And um, and then if you guys have feedback on this, obviously let us know. If you have other topics you want us to consider, give us that too. Uh, on Insta, at Nurse Coffee Talk gmail nursecoffeetalk at gmail.com we love you love you love you all please share us with your friends like us subscribe to our podcast and get the word out about us because we're spreading like wildfire we're Wee! spreading like herp herpes on a non-diagnosed vagina <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> bye bye <laughs>